Welcome back to the Awesome Book Club Podcast, guys. I'm Rhett. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you might have seen on your way in here that this is Sapiens Part 4. And Part 4 is the final part. That's right, we're on the home stretch of this bad boy. We're rounding third. If you guys want to be brought up to speed or just be clued in on everything that we've been talking about, you can pause this right now and you can go find Sapiens Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. And we'll still be here when you come back. Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind from Dr. Yuval Noah Harari is a groundbreaking narrative of humanity's creation and evolution that explores the way in which biology and history have defined us and enhanced our understanding of what it means to be human. God, it sounds epic when you say it like that, right? Hey, if you're going to stick with us regardless of having listened to the other episodes or if you are joining us from part three, we just want to say thank you for joining us our book club podcast. And look, this being a book club, that means you listening to it. You are a part of the book club. That means that you have a voice. And if you want it to be heard, you can. All you got to do is hop on over to Twitter. You can tweet us. We're at Awesome Book Club. But if 280 characters isn't enough, you can send us an email at abc at airpodcast.com. And uh, you can tell us your thoughts. You can tell us your frustrations. You can ask us questions, leave comments, whatever it might be. We're open to it all. And if your tweet or email is really great, we may just read it on the air. All right? We really can't thank you guys enough, okay? And with that, I'm just going to hit play on this bad boy. We'll see you on the other side. I want to, uh... We're way off course. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. I want to just say two of my favorite quotes from this section, and it'll kind of, I think, loop us into uh, religion. Yeah. Uh, the first one is more about money, and we can talk about how capitalism can be viewed as a religion. And uh, the first quote is, The creed of the rich is invest, whereas for the rest of us, the creed is to buy. Right, which I thought was really interesting, because it's kind of like once you once you're wealthy enough, you're you're just you're not as much of a consumer, you know, and the rest of us are kind of just programmed to basically be consumers. So uh, I don't want to touch on that too much. But the other one, the other one is, uh, whereas religion asks us to believe in something. Money asks us to believe that other people believe in something. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I remember that really quote. Interesting. That's great. Um, and so jumping into religion, I, I was really fascinated with that section. Um, for one, because he, he breaks down common religions and, <laughs> and he kind of like makes them seem very contradictory and silly but he also kind of tries to define what religion is and then he categorizes a lot of other things as being religions when most people wouldn't think that they're religions Mm. like capitalism or liberalism or communism or whatever you know and i can't i don't i didn't write down the exact definition of what he says a religion is but it's basically like some system of beliefs that we are beholden to, you know? Right. I mean, look at, look at Fox news and then look at MSNBC and tell me that our certain political beliefs or socioeconomic beliefs or whatever it might be are not religious. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, people oppose uh, our current president or uh, the current or, or, or one of the last presidential candidates. Um, they oppose them almost religiously. <laughs> yeah. It's kind totally. of mind boggling to see. Yeah. And I, uh, so one thing I, I found really interesting was kind of just this, the history of, of religions, which was basically, you know, you had like your animists who were much more local to, to different regions. You know, they didn't really care what other people believed necessarily, but, you know, maybe, um, somebody, they were, you know, one tribe was having trouble finding food for a while. And this red fox like jumped out, uh, in the forest while they were hunting one day and it led them to like, you know, a, a big old patch of berry bushes or something. And from then on that red fox was a symbol of their God or whatever, you know? Um, but, and so it was much more like tied to nature for the animists and it was much more local to them, you know, and they, and it was definitely a polytheistic religion where they had many gods. Um, and so I liked how he talked about that. Then you, then you go into like the, you know, Egyptian and Greek religions where there's, uh, you know, there it's much more widespread, but it's very all encompassing. Uh, a lot of it's very similar to each other with like the sun gods and the gods of war and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you got kind of like the big religions that are around still, which it, interestingly started off as these kind of like minor fringe sects of religions and basically at least from what i could tell the way he was arguing was that these religions are still so famous today because they like were the first religions to go out and try to tell everybody that their religion was correct you know and so it somehow they withstood time and uh now like we basically still have this crusade-esque violence between Christians and Muslims, basically. Yeah. Despite the fact uh, that like they believe in the same God. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, well, and so like one of the things I thought was super interesting was he was talking about how Christians really focus on the persecution of, of them, you know, early on, you know, you hear about like Paul of Tarsus and all this stuff about them getting, uh, persecuted and killed uh, when when they were part of the Roman Empire. And he was saying, like, you know, basically during that time, maybe a few thousand Christians were killed by the Romans. Um, but throughout the ages after that, like hundreds of thousands or millions of Christians were killed by other Christians for believing slightly different things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was... I had a... Um... I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, okay. but I had a really good kick the other day. I, I had a really bad day, and I came home, poured myself a glass of whiskey, and the first headline I read on on Facebook, somebody posted a sat, you know, just like a satire article. It was like The Onion or something like that, right? Where it was like, um, here's the 95 theses ranked from best to worst. <laughs> and I burst into hysterical laughter for like a solid seven and a half minutes. I couldn't believe and the headline alone was enough. But then the best part was I read the article and they actually ranked them. 
Uh, and you nice. read through all 95? I did, yeah, just to see. Because yeah. I want, well, the first thing was I wanted to make sure that they didn't actually just post them from number one to 95, right? And then yeah. when I started realizing that it's like, oh, he actually ranked them? Like, you know, I just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't read them from start to finish, but I kind of glossed over them and to figure out like where he put some of them. I was uh, raised and baptized Lutheran, so, you know, the 95 Theses are sort of uh, a little bit more <laughs> like integral insane. to my upbringing. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, the other- Oh, go ahead, Kurt. Oh, no, you go. You're, you're on something. I, I was going to just say, the other thing I found interesting was just this whole, like, dissection, I guess, between... Um, polytheism and monotheism and how it's all really the same was kind of interesting you know because like yeah in in christianity like you believe in one god yet there are there's jesus god the holy spirit but Uh, also like catholicism Catholicism there's saints all the saints yep but also it's kind of a dualistic religion because you have god and satan yeah which you know for Satan really to exist, like he has basically godlike status, right? Yeah. Um, so essentially, like it's it's an amalgam of polytheistic religions or of polytheistic traits put into one religion, and believers kind of just still say that it's a monotheistic religion. You know, (laughs) yeah. Like he said something along the lines of, uh, uh, "Religions are really good at um, embracing contradictions." Yeah, you know, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Which was like really funny. Um, It's interesting, you know, to me. uh, Like, you know, I I I was working on this kind of this like book for a number of months and in it i had to research a lot about india and i decided while i was researching about india i said hey you know what i know nothing about hinduism let's research a little bit about hinduism and the thing that i learned that surprised me the absolute most because i actually find sort of like the the hindu concept of like the afterlife to be like one of the most comforting right like we all have our souls and when you die our souls sort of join like the one soul and that, you know, that's heaven, right? Like you sort of like your soul is returning home and, uh, you know, and, and, and that leaves room for like their belief in reincarnation and all this other sort of stuff. But the one thing that I learned that surprised me the absolute most was that they have a supreme deity that is an amalgamation of all of their deities. Um, which sounds surprisingly monotheistic, right? Like, you know, they have their three prime, they, they have their three uh, chief deities, which is like, you know, I think like um, uh, Shiva and, oh God, I don't know. I can't even. Vishnu. Yeah, yeah, Vishnu. Yeah. And then like, I don't know. I think like Ganesh is like a facet of like one of those three. I don't even know. But they, they have three of them. But those three uh deities are like faces of like the one god but those three deities have their like have multiple faces themselves and all of this other stuff and it goes down and down and down and down and hinduism obviously has like one of the most complex um pantheons of of deities uh on earth but 
that's the thing that surprised me the most was it's like, oh, they have these three chief deities that are faces of their primary deity. I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like Christianity. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> they have their three deities, the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit, you know, that whole thing. Um, but if you ever said that to a uh, devout, you know, evangelical Christian, they'd be like, you're you're blasphemous. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I think, you know, you could talk about religion in a lot of different ways. I like the way he talked about religion because it started with linking it to the evolution of yeah. our species. Yeah. And, act, and actually, this is a moment of me reminiscing and hearkening back because I love the animism stuff. I do I too, love yeah. It's local and it's about the people. And once it gets... He made a really good point that once we started farming and animals became our property, we could no longer have a religion that was based off of plants and animals because we were masters over that. And so the religion had to be about us. Right. And it had to be about some higher power, maybe the sun, or maybe, you know, eventually we get God and Jesus and Muhammad, but, um, and Allah. But it's just it, like, wow, man, I don't know if that's an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny because religion is like one of those things that I briefly studied in my short stint in, in college. And it was my favorite thing that I studied because there's so many threads that that connect them all, but each one is unwilling to acknowledge those other threads. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I, I loved all of that sort of stuff because it's it's richer than any fantasy book that you can imagine. And that's not just true of religion. That's true of history in general. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, and, and that's like one point that I really got from him was as soon as people were trying to convince other people that yeah. <laughs> their religion was correct, <laughs> things went downhill fast. Like he was even saying like even with the Romans, like they would like they wouldn't expect you to like worship their gods but you you at least acknowledge that they believe in those gods or whatever oh, yeah and yeah. if if you do that like that's saying like you know you're a roman citizen essentially and they'll even acknowledge your god right like it's it's all good we understand you believe in that god and heck yeah it's powerful to you like it's a is quite the but, dude but you have to do the same thing for us you know and that's where like uh christian persecution started happening because they obviously wouldn't say that they told them that the that their gods were you know does anybody know idols and stuff does anybody know why emperor constantine accepted uh christianity (laughs) why oh go for taylor sorry um i think he talks about that in the book a little bit doesn't he yeah well um, definitely he mentions there, it there's there's a lot of different reasons people speculate it could have been purely political you know to try and uh incorporate those citizens like christianity was becoming much more popular so it could have been to make them feel more tied to the empire um i've also what is that whole thing about uh that meeting between like the heads of the council of Nicaea. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that was the beginning of Catholicism. Right. 
that's, uh, and the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, basically. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, one um, of my one of my favorite jokes uh, by a modern comedian, Eddie Izzard. Uh, if you don't know him, look him up. Uh, he has this joke that he talks about Catholicism and how it's based on the teachings of this person named Cathal. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that I, was a really fateful day in history. Sorry, go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's funny because I the story I had heard was about the battlefield and about Constantine's riding into battle, and he sees a flaming cross in the sky, Yeah, and he realizes that he should be Christian, and then he wins the battle, and he, he realizes he needs to convert. But it's Where did I you hear that story? story like, I heard that story, too. Probably. You know, I think in probably group. YouTube. I've and, heard it. I think I heard it on a Dan Carlin podcast. Oh. Dude, what a great! I've never heard that. That's, never heard that. Well, that's I mean, great. What a great story! Like, what a what an amazing thing to tell your country as to why they need to be a certain religion. I saw this amazing thing in the sky that told me that I need to be this religion too. Well, you know, you know what's amazing though is like how how people sort of like apply these things that maybe they saw, maybe they're hallucinations, maybe they weren't to a sort of religion, you know? And it's like, even Paul had his own sorts of visions, right? Like, didn't he fall off a horse? And, you know, back when he was Saul, he fell off a horse and he had a vision of God and all of these sorts of things. And then he became Paul and he became, yeah. you know, one of the primary, um, one of the primary, um, you know, well, he was the first one to like send out missionaries. Right, 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 right. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, the primary sort of disciple disciples of of Jesus. Um, you know, the cosmic Jewish zombie. Uh, <laughs> oh God, Rhett. <laughs> Rhett, no. I know we're I know we're being blasphemous. Okay, okay, to a uh, new level. <laughs> well, hey, look, I'll be the first to admit it's like it's these sorts of things are really weird. And it's like I don't I've had weird experiences that have led me to sort of like accept. Um, truths that aren't necessarily like inherent to like empirical evidence or otherwise like i don't know it's weird and i like hearing stories about constantine he sees this this thing and he leads his army to battle you know to victory in battle and all this sort of stuff like it's a great story whether or not it happened i don't know i can't vouch for that it's but it's interesting how many of these types of stories there are yeah, you know, like Joan well, of Arc but, is mean, one that I I'm looked sure into. There's so many like Greek stories too about them seeing symbols from Zeus or whatever, you know. Yeah, but what's the symbol of Zeus, Taylor? Go ahead and tell me. I don't know, a lightning bolt. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, he's <laughs> got a lightning for sure. But <laughs> like, what's a symbol? I, well, I'm just saying, though. Like, <laughs> no, I Jesus. Know. Jesus didn't pick the cross as his symbol, did he? That was the Christians afterwards. No, right? probably Paul. He was like, yo. Jesus was shaped like a cross when he died. Let's do this, you know. <laughs> Crucified yeah. on the cross, yeah. I don't know. Religion's weird and Religion is weird. We spent a lot I... of time talking about it. <laughs> we <laughs> well, should talk, we should... talk about Buddhism too, but we can Dude, yeah, Siddhartha Gautama, for sure, dude. I'm yeah. I'm wearing my Buddhist prayer beads right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I found it interesting too that that he compares these other things like capitalism as a, as a religion. And one of the he even talks he, about stoicism as a religion. Yeah, totally. Um, what was I going to say? One of the things he, he mentions is, uh, this kind of idea that letting the free market regulate itself, 
uh, without really having evidence of it like people just say that that's the best thing because they just believe in the free market yeah ask uh yeah. rockefeller or jp morgan yeah <laughs> and uh so it, he like basically compared those to other like other actual religions that we view as religions which was was pretty interesting what i've been talking for a while so what did you guys think about that kind of stuff kurt has barely chimed in so Sorry, let's leave some room for Kurt. To, I mean, this is the the book burning podcast after all, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't think we were going to share that name idea on the radio. Uh, I'll delete it if you want me to. I'll delete it if you want me to. Burning with an E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't as into that that stuff. I mean, I think it was good for him to explain that and talk about that. It didn't seem as applicable and tangible because so few people see those things as together. So it's really hard to, to bring up to someone who might be evangelical and say like, Hey, yeah, you're really into capitalism also. And that's a religion as that has equal weight. <laughs> you know, people would just, I don't know if that language is useful, but I, I think it's maybe even more powerful in people's lives. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I I criticize Christianity a lot because I think it's a pretty detached religion, and all these big ones are because they're just so not local. It's all about the practice and God, and you know, you doing the right rituals, right? And I would. I would much rather the religion be like, all right, if, if everyone on your block is healthy and happy, you go to heaven. <laughs> well, <laughs> look at look at what look at the Beatitudes, um, which is the Sermon on the Temple Mount in the Book of Matthew. The things that Jesus says, the things that Jesus says, are like the path to heaven. Right? He says. If you do a good thing so that other people know that you did a good thing, you're not doing a good thing. You're being a selfish bastard. <laughs> I mean, he, le- he legitimately condemns people who do things for recognition. He condemns the wealthy. I mean, blessed be the poor. Come on. Not a single Christian that I've ever met. No, that's not true. There is a plenty of Christians that I've met who are clinging in this modern day and age to a doctrine that, you know, uh, it doesn't make them out to be assholes. Because honestly, I look at most Christians, and and I don't want to turn you off if you're a listener to the podcast, but, you know, it, it's like during Hurricane Harvey when Houston was underwater, and then that, like, that mega church operator, like, was, de- was declining people staying in his huge-ass church. Uh, whatever his name, I I don't know what it is. I'm I forget. It. So I, uh, far I'm above that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are a few select Christians who like cling to the Beatitudes as the gospel, as they should. I don't think that there is any modern Christians who should take into account anything in the Old Testament. If you want to be Christ-like, if you want to call yourself a Christian, then read the Sermon on the Temple Mount. Jesus says you should do good for the sake of doing good and nothing else. 
If you do good for the sake of recognition, if you do good and you go to your church and you say, hey, I donated money to this local charity, or hey, I took this homeless person into my house, or hey, the other day I bought a Subway sandwich for this dude, then you are not being a good Christian. And it's funny because most modern Christians don't want to accept that. Um, it, because it's, it's kind of like the opposite of what we've even come to expect is sort of like the, the, the crux of Christianity or like sort of like, or, or sort of, uh, I, I don't know, like it, it's sort of the opposite of what we've come to expect of like the standard of Christianity in a way, um, which is interesting, you know, and, and one of these groups, Christians, for example, that does a lot of this, like the Quakers, they're, they're a really interesting group when you look at it because like they want to do good for the sake of doing good or they want to do good for the sake of like their own spiritual well-being and nothing else. Um, but then, you know, a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to throw Catholics under the bus because, hey, Catholics got the cool Pope right now, uh, the cool Pope doing some cool <laughs> things. Um, the Obama of Popes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm totally willing to endorse that. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm totally rambling at this point. So someone take the wheel. Well, I think, I think we, Jesus, Jesus should take the wheel. Um, Jesus I think we should move off of religion. And before we move forward, because I think we're kind of hitting the point where we should be looking at the future. Um, or, or at least like the industrial revolution and the discovery of ignorance. And I just thought that that part was fantastic. I do want to touch quickly on the empire stuff because yes, yes, I, yes, was, yes. I was like, I, I was thinking about my time in Kenya, which I talked about earlier in the podcast that I go to Kenya, I meet a guy named John who speaks English and is Christian and his, you know, little sister is like Wilfred or something, you know, these like old school names and I'm thinking, gosh, I really <laughs> wish this was more different. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great if they weren't drinking tea and eating <laughs> little biscuits right now and still had, like, British stuff on the, their money. But um, so I, I just was – I thought a lot about how the, la- the languages we speak are languages of empires. Yeah. And so many – not only have so many animals become extinct over the years, but human societies – that were destroyed by empire aren't coming back and will never, you know? So, right. So that, I just thought that was a, a pretty fascinating section. Um, yeah. I don't know if I can chime in real quick. I've been talking a lot this whole, this whole segment, but <laughs> on page 189, uh, it's a chapter called uh, Imperial Visions. Uh, it brings up a topic that, uh, for devout listeners of our show, I have a, I used to have another podcast. It's called Duel of Taints. And currently, at this exact moment, it's still available on iTunes. And there was an episode where I had a friend of the show uh, who I talked about earlier, Jana. She's a uh, German, uh, but from the UK. She uh, she came out, she came back to Oregon because she was one of our foreign exchange students when we were in high school. And uh, I asked her, I was like, hey, you should come on mine and my brother-in-law's podcast. And she was like super stoked because we talk about nerd shit. Like primarily we talk about Star Wars. But she came on and she was like, we should talk about Doctor Who and all this sort of stuff. And I was really excited about it. But we never did. And uh, much to my embarrassment, we mostly talked about um, like cultural differences and 
in, a lot about imperialism and that sort of thing. Eh, I don't know. I, I shouldn't be too embarrassed about it because, you know, everything is a growing opportunity, an opportunity for growth. But she brought up this point that I thought about a lot while I was reading this chapter, Imperial Visions. It's only a couple pages, uh, but uh, she mentioned that from her view, and granted, this was a few years ago, Americans are the only ones in the entire world that are sort of like reverent of their heritage. And I think us three are particularly, we sort of fall into this because we grew up in a German Catholic town. And all of us are German. Look at our freaking last names. We got Bernie, we got Buchheit, we got Weisenfels. Like, we're lucky we're not, we weren't from the Third Reich. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> all right. it doesn't get more German than that. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> bad joke, bad taste. Yeah. But, but what's interesting to me is that she's, I mean, she's right in a way. And I don't think that necessarily we sort of like, I, I don't think we revere our heritage, but it's a sort of a way of like finding our place in this like melting pot. Um, but in this chapter, in this book, he talks about this old city. And you got to forgive me because I'm pretty well obsessed with Rome. I'm obsessed with the Roman Empire. Uh, it's like was my entry into history. And he talks about this city called Mantia. And it was seized by Rome in like 134 BC. Um. And and the is this man- with Scipio when he surrounds it? Scipio, I don't think it was. Maybe uh, maybe different one. I think this is a different one. I think Scipio okay. was okay. like Gaul, and this was in Spain. Okay, uh, could be wrong. Gaul is like what is, we consider like modern day France. I don't know what they called the, the like modern day Spain back then, but they uh, captured the city called Mantia in 134 BC, and rather than submit to Roman rule. The Manteans burned their city down and committed suicide. <laughs> and to, and this is what sort of like embodies the spirit of like Spanish independence and courage to this day, right? But despite the fact that the Manteans burned their belongings, burned their lives down and killed themselves rather than submit to Roman rule, modern day Spain has more in common with Rome than they had with their ancient Mantean ancestors. <laughs> um, and I don't know why those two things are connected in my mind, you know, Americans being obsessed with their heritage, um, which we are. I'll be the first to say that we are. Um, and the Manteans, uh, you know, a lot of Spanish people to this day, I guess, I don't know if this is entirely true, but I read a couple of uh, subreddits and, and, and this is in the book. Um, that suggests that like man, you know, a lot of modern Spanish, they associate themselves with Mantia more than Rome, even though, come on, like they're straight up Romans. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, and then I guess another quote that really fascinated me, uh, page one ninety one, right after this, uh, the, the, 189 was Imperial visions. What we just talked about. One ninety one was a quote and it says in our time, imperialist, quote unquote, imperialist ranks second only to fascist in the lexicon of political swear words. Um, 
which I thought was like kind of exceptionally poignant right now uh, with a lot of sort of like uh, fascist resurgence in the United States. Um, and it's kind of true. Um, I have been listening to a lot of podcasts and there's one, there's a writing podcast in particular that I listen to. It's called Writing Excuses. And they have been doing their best over the last several years to sort of like remove sexist, to remove racist, to remove ableist language um, from their own lexicons and from their podcast. Not only that, they have, they've been really, really, really working hard to remove like sort of like the colonial or uh, or imperialist ideas from their podcast. And um, when you listen to it and you think about it in a way, it's like almost enough to like to put your brain in a knot, you know, because it's like it's it's nothing that's our fault. But it's something that is prevalent and is, um, you know, poignant in our modern time, even though, uh, you know, we three can easily say it's not our fault. We didn't do anything. Um, (laughs) We didn't do anything wrong, us personally. Uh, But, you know, colonial language and imperialist language is strong in our modern day culture and holds a lot of people back. For some reason, that kind of reminds me of, uh, what was it that I was watching? It might have been John Oliver or Trevor, Trevor Noah. And it was talking about this whole thing that's going on with like the Confederate statues and everything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he showed these clips from, uh, well, he was basically comparing um, people who like say that the Confederacy is part of their heritage he was comparing them to some other people that didn't know that their ancestors were Confederate. Like, uh, he had, oh, who was it that he had on there? Oh, he had, uh, what's the reporter on CNN's name with like gray, silver hair? Anderson uh, Cooper. Anderson Cooper. He had <laughs> Anderson Cooper on there. He's on CNN, by the way. Did I, what did I say? MSNBC or something. I oh, thought I, said. I meant CNN. But, uh, yeah, he like apparently Anderson Cooper has some, you know, Confederates uh, ancestors or whatever, and he was like, "Wow, I didn't know that." You know, like that's horrible. You know, like uh, they got what they deserve, kind of a thing. So I don't know. It's just interesting how some people really um, value their past. You know, when yeah, I, I don't know what I'm trying to get at, but. I yeah and that if they didn't know because like Anderson doesn't know it he's never been taught to value it yeah exactly so when he found out he you you almost have to be taught to value it otherwise you're horrified right yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah I I liked something that Rep brought up that I wanted to touch on that I thought was interesting and connects with this a little bit that these notions of originality and you know what is the past and what is a legit culture and what was like the true southern pride or the true jewish pride (laughs) there's this great line on page 193 where he talks about how king david were to show up in an ultra-orthodox synagogue in jerusalem in present-day jerusalem he would be 
mortified because people would be wearing Eastern European clothes, speaking Yiddish, which is a German language, um, <laughs> reading the Talmud, which is this Babylonian text that was never in Judea. And so it's just this like weird amalgamation of cultures that they think they're trying to be as orthodox as possible, but we're so warped by the, you know, the <laughs> like what has yeah. happened in the intervening years. And I'm sure it's the same for these people that you're talking about who are super proud of their Confederate ancestry. You know, right. I bet they're, I don't, I don't know exactly what their Confederate ancestors would say to them, but they might say, you know, you haven't gotten over this yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. It's been 150 years and we lost that war. And after the war ended, I thought we should really make nice about this. You know, like, what are you doing still? I, it's just, pretending to know what our ancestors thought and would have would have done is is just yeah yeah there's a lot of hubris there and and there's totally. just so much that we don't we don't understand um <laughs> uh, some things that i found interesting about this section um one was like towards the end of it he talked he gives some statistics about like what life was like before empires and what it's like after and he basically was saying that, like, the number of deaths, like, number of murders has really gone down. And as a whole, like, people, you know, make it through childbirth more more often. And, like, a lot of good has come from empires. But a lot of suffering happened to bring us to this point, you know. And... It, it brings me back to like this conversation of capitalism and he talks a lot about like the Dutch empire and like the Dutch empire was a, a huge colonial power because of how wealthy they were and like their seafaring capabilities. Um, but it all kind of goes back to the fact that they were um, like good good businessmen and merchants basically you know like their mercantilism was really good yeah uh so they actually had a lot more power and he he also uses the example of uh why great britain overcame france and it was because their credit was better and so they could always fund their wars and their colonialism and everything um, Not only that, another but thing james cook was responsible for uh you know figuring out scurvy yeah. And so, you know, they were better able to colonialize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing that I thought was interesting was um, basically this idea that the market is indifferent uh, to suffering. Like he was talking about how, you know, people that uh, were sugar plant owners or whatever that lived in Europe, they they had slaves and the the conditions for slaves was really horrible, but they didn't really think about that as being something bad. It was more about like how much money they were making. So it was greed was greed was driving that and and they didn't think of themselves as being bad people because they you know went to church and tithed and helped their society whatever. You know, they brought 
sugar to their uh, countrymen or whatever. So they just like, it wasn't that they were actively like, I don't know, enjoying inflicting suffering on these people, but they were just kind of indifferent to it because it was making them wealthy, which was an interesting thought. I don't know. Do you guys remember that part? Yeah, I I definitely do. And I think it's kind of moving us forward in the conversation, which is good. So thanks for bringing it up. Um, About happiness and everything. uh, Yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of like empire. And it's a weird... It gets into the question a little bit of how how do we judge the ethics of people that live during that time? Yeah. You know, if if like the scientists of their day said, blah, 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 these aren't real people, um, these aren't humans like you, you don't have to feel bad about it, mm-hmm. then they, sh- you know, like they sh- probably should have questioned that more and and did these terrible things, but then... Ah, it's it get just it gets really complicated because it, yeah, information they might not have known. Like maybe if those people would have been on the plantations themselves, they would have seen what was happening and been absolutely revolted. Right. But but actually, that that kind of gives brings up the idea that ends the like part three and and leads us into the scientific revolution part that we can't explain history. It's not deterministic. It's totally by chance. The only thing we can say for sure is that it hasn't been in the best interest of humans. <laughs> Which I, uh, I think that that scares me about the future for sure. <laughs> yeah. But if we, if we look at this intense period that we're starting to talk about now, which is the 500 years between 1500 and present day, mm-hmm. holy shit, so much happened. And wow, is, was there a lot more pain and suffering it seems like per cat per like square inch of the globe than the last 500 years before that. It just, it all of a sudden everything's speeding up and people are being used and abused by the imperial system and the capitalist system. And yeah, all, it just, I think this book kind of starts going in a lot, like it hits overdrive now because everything, all of a sudden the pace is just punishingly fast. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. What, um, I don't know, maybe I'm jumping too far ahead. Maybe I'm not. Someone help me out if I am. But, you know, one thing that really kind of blew my mind a little bit is like, obviously, once we get kind of into the scientific revolution, one thing that he makes abundantly clear is that, you know, Western civilization was like piteously poor. You know, and that even while like the Romans were in power, that like majority of their wealth and all this sort of stuff came from like the Middle East and uh, and Northern Africa and this type of stuff, and that like they largely considered like Northern Europe to be pretty useless. Um, <laughs> you know, and then later on, like England goes off to like imperialize the whole world and all this sort of stuff. Um, but you know, at a cer- after a certain point, like during this time, during the scientific revolution, especially, um, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off because I, d- I didn't keep as detailed notes during this part as I did like the first, you know, 300 pages or whatever. But, um, that Asia accounted for like pretty much like 90% of the world economy at this point. And, uh, and, and what's really interesting to me is that I've heard, 
uh, a few academics regard uh, the time that we're in right now as being sort of like the decline of Western civilization and the rise of uh, Asian civilization you know they're saying like the next great superpower is going to be china because we just can't keep up with like their manufacturing ability or whatever it might be which is interesting because you know it was like that 300 years ago or 400 years ago um and we only briefly rose to power and apparently abused it or whatever it might be i don't know the exact cause i don't claim to know the exact cause but what do you what do you guys think about that sort of thing Mm. i was i'm fascinated by that um because I, well, two things that really shocked me to think about. One was that, that that story about the, okay, if a peasant wakes up and goes to sleep in 1000 AD and wakes up in 1500 AD, yeah. no, not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> if a peasant falls asleep in 1500 AD and wakes up today, it might be heaven, it might be hell, the peasant will have no idea. And that, it kind of, that's like, that's what China and those Asian powers got caught in is all of a sudden the pace of innovation just totally took off and they were not up to speed and didn't think it was that important. And even up to, it seems like 1775 with the uh, stat you were saying about how much economic power they had, I think it was like 80, 90%. They were still in charge. What was the big deal? Why did they have to care about all this technology? And then boom, European powers, Britain, just with that scientific advantage starts to completely dominate the world over the next hundred years. So it does, I think, growing up in Western culture, we think of this as some sort of predestined, we're the greatest, Europe's the best, <laughs> blah, 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 we're so smart. But yeah, it's, it might, 500 years from now, you might look back and say, oh, that was interesting. It was a good run for them. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. This backwater place in Northern Europe took over for... 300 years and they had nothing but <laughs> eventually <laughs> once china decided to, that it could be innovative it started catching up and i and that's what kind of he brings that up that all right well asia knows this the formula now and they're catching up and i don't i know kind of in the west where we don't want that because we want to still be number one but yeah looking at history and looking at just the people the numbers of people it's it seems tough. I don't know how that would, I don't know how to sustain European Western, not that it's even a good thing to sustain, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be sustained. Yeah, I don't either. And that's one of my favorite things about, you know, one of my favorite shows on television, Firefly, Um, you know, Joss Whedon, he introduces this, this concept that, you know, there was apparently uh, English-speaking speak Chinese colony yeah. ship, yeah, and but also a Chinese uh, colony ship, and everybody's fluent in both languages, uh, English and Chinese, and they can read Chinese, they can read English, they can speak Chinese, and they can speak English. It's really fascinating to me because uh, it seems to be like the most likely sort of outcome over the next hundred years. I don't know, maybe I'm completely off base which uh could be completely plausible because i'm not a historian or anything like that but um it is interesting to think you know and and i don't know i brought this up because my old man who um you know i don't i don't necessarily consider him to be like a historical genius by any means but you know he he was uh born in 1950 and so 
came into age at a like a very interesting time in the in the in regards to like American history, right? Like he was a young man during like civil rights and Vietnam and all this sort of stuff. And so it's interesting getting his perspective specifically with like regards to our current political structure and well, let's get real, like our president and all this sort of stuff, you know, he, I don't think he necessarily adheres to like one party or the other, but it's amazing considering baby boomers in general. Uh, I think he would be regarded as like an earlier boomer. And then there is lots of boomers like my in-laws who were born uh, early sixties who most boomers born in the early sixties have like completely opposing political viewpoints as like my old man has, who was born in the early fifties. Um, Oh my God. I think I ran so far off course here. I don't know where I was going, but, (laughs) but the point being, it's like, he even recognizes it's like, look, when we were a certain age, it's like, China was having a rough time, but it's, you know, then there was a certain point where it's like everything was manufactured in Taiwan. Then everything was manufactured in Japan. And now everything is manufactured in China. How many times, how many things, you know, it's like aside from like your video game console and select electronics, like how many things do you have that were manufactured in Japan? Not as many as was in the 70s and 80s. In the 70s and 80s, everything was Japan. Then came the 90s, and now everything is China. And we can't muster up the same sort of, like, manufacturing power as that. Well, we, the U.S. does a lot more of, like, exporting raw goods, right? So... I mean, technology. And, I'm not I mean, sure. Yeah, like, there's a lot of raw goods that we still import. Um, you know, even oil manufacturing, which should be like something that's very high on um, a nation's sort of like uh, list of important goods. Like, even oil manufacturing, like we fall well behind the Middle East. You know, oh, totally. Well, that's probably because we choose to. <laughs> I guess it kind of makes sense when you think about it, but if you're planning for end game, you want to have oil reserves when everybody else doesn't. Yeah, but it's funny because I've I've read so many things that pretty much say like, you know, like once shit hits the fan and you reach that sort of like post apocalypse, nobody's going to be refining oil. Like maybe you get like biodiesel and that sort of thing. So people who have like a diesel infrastructure are going to be the ones that like do better uh, like canada that like a lot of their vehicles are going to be run be able to run off corn <laughs> you know that sort of thing but like in the united states that's not going to be the case i don't know and i'm not well, saying what's go ahead what's interesting is in the book he mentions um sorry i'm getting some echo uh he mentions in the book he's like why is so why is everyone so worried about depleting oil like when in the past have humans like failed to come up with a an alternate solution to something like this. You know, we'll just come up with something else, which I thought was like such an interesting perspective. Yeah, I would have much rather just I, like run out of I, fuel a long time ago. 
that, you know, it's like whatever it was like 20 years ago or 10 years ago, they're just like, yeah, we're going to run out of oil someday. So, you know, let's, let's figure out alternative fuels. But then we, then they figured out, it's like, yeah, we're not going to run out for generations yet. So like buckle up. <laughs> like I would have rather just like run out of a long time ago and we could figure it out solar. We could figure out renewable energies. Yeah, dude, I think we had electric trolleys in the early 1900s. Yeah, <laughs> but then, yeah, you know. Well, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help when you like give corporations the same rights as citizens. So. <laughs> but yeah. that's a whole different topic. It's a whole. That's not in this. Well, actually, it's kind of in this. He talks about corporations a lot in this book. Well, I guess yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, I I love just like getting back to. Um, the capitalist stuff. Cause I think there's a lot of interesting content here that I hadn't necessarily thought about. And one, one story he told helped me understand a gap in history that I, I'm not super familiar with. And that is Spain discovers the oh. you know, new world and yeah. it's the 1500s. And all of a sudden they're the most powerful thing on earth. Cause they have all this new wealth and then they just screw it up because yeah. They don't believe in innovation, so nothing really scientific happens from all that wealth, or it, you know, it, the Renaissance isn't really going yet, and they, you, they don't have any trust because the king is. They were, they were telling the story of the two brothers, and you could lend money to the king, but you were never going to get that money back. You might get forced to lend more, and then you might get thrown in jail for not lending even more after that. So yeah. there's just no accountability, and and it wasn't a reliable market. So. Spain had all this gold and wealth, and but it didn't have any liquidity or capital. And it's, again, these stories of before everyone had figured it out and knowledge was very centralized. Now, every president in the world understands markets and <laughs> capital and knows that they need a good credit rating and all that. But like the Dutch, who probably up until then were just some barbarian backwater, have some credit system and boom they're they're this huge power and i i it's just this crazy to think about the unequal distribution of this knowledge and just where things sprung up and took hold versus where they could have in spain spain could have been you know as powerful as britain but for 500 years and instead they just kind of didn't figure it out and they didn't ever have that knowledge come up in the right place and Oh, I, I just the, there are just really some good nuggets of history here that I I hadn't heard before. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I find that really interesting as well. And actually, like you talk about innovation and like being in tune with science and everything, and that actually kind of makes me wonder and a little bit worry about the path of the u.s you know we already deny science in so many regards that maybe we are lacking innovation and we're gonna i mean not that not that like being number one in the world is is so important you know like i think our generation doesn't care nearly as much as uh other other generations of americans but you know it's like yeah, we just we just don't believe science anymore. <laughs> and I think it's going to put us back in terms of innovation and in terms of like making the world a better place, like I don't know. 
Mm. Yeah, it makes me think of a Dan Carlin's Common Sense podcast where he talks a lot about what what brings down empires is not from without. It's from only. within. It's from yeah. within. And so I could see that that kind of disunity around a scientific consensus around climate change, global warming, and some of this innovation stuff, especially with renewable energy, if you want to be a world leader in that, you got to be all in. Yep. You can't just invest a couple percent of the budget of one government organization. You know, you got to put some significant resources into that. Right. And uh, just other people are going to figure it out for us and then we'll be... Well, yeah, instead of investing in, in green energy, we want to reinvest in coal and stuff. <laughs> right, like, right. That makes so much green sense, back right? Coal, yeah. That, <laughs> Make America great that? again. Where did those go? <laughs> I want some steam engines back. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, it is, it's definitely a... I feel like the end moves very quickly of this yeah. book because we kind of go from capital into industry and then there's some some stuff about how we're strong individuals and we don't really have a shared culture anymore which i thought was interesting and then then it's to the future it's like a quick series of chapters and all of a sudden we're talking about superhumans yeah. so <laughs> i, I want to ma- you know manage these in bite-sized chunks but does anyone have a part of that that like sticks out that they want to focus on and, and highlight it may be like the very end where he kind of like says so what's the point kind of a thing and but that kind of like brings us to happiness you know and i think um i may i might be getting ahead of myself but it's it's still kind of for me this whole book is still this idea about kind of like humans thinking we're the best while basically screwing everything up for everyone else and like basically is it okay to be happy knowing that we've done this to so many done all these horrible things to so many other creatures and people like two quotes i have written down is uh basically should we should we measure only the happiness of the well-off or should we uh only measure happiness of all humans um that and also we can congratulate ourselves on the unprecedented accomplishments of modern sapiens only if we completely ignore the fate of all other animals and it's just like damn dude (laughs) like if you if you think about all other species in terms of like their their happiness like the world is a horrible place (laughs) and it's mostly because of us and it it, like when you think of that in terms of the future it really looks pretty dim in my eyes (laughs) right like like he was talking about how uh we we like what's the word like um bringing in animals into these like basically machine-like or like turning animals essentially into machines so that we can use their them as commodities you know we brought up like all these other animals with us you know because we want to use them right and like we watch tv 
and on National Geographic, you see like all these giraffes and everything. And he was he said something along the lines of like, if you weighed every uh, every other animal besides the ones that we've um, industrialized or whatever you want to call it, uh, they weigh like a fraction of what just cows weigh. Hmm. You know, and it's just like. Uh, I feel like we do that with everything, right? We go around and we freaking put pavement down over these environments that are like how, you know, <laughs> lived in by this one rare species or, you know, whatever. Yet we have millions and millions of pigs and cows, but we put them in like a pin that they can't even turn around in. And they're, we rip them away from their mothers before they've, they've been at an age where they should be weaned, you know, and, and we don't allow them to play. Uh, so it, it causes them all this psychological stress and suffering, you know, it's just like really horrifying. And I've, I think it just like hit me because I've thought about this a lot over the last like several years. And I've always been kind of somebody who, uh, it's kind of like a softy when it comes to like animals. Like I remember as a kid watching some nature show and this alligator like ate a monkey and I just started like crying, you know? Mm. And, but like when you think about it, it's just like crazy. Like, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like really hit home with me. And I just feel like even more horrible for what <laughs> our species has, has done, you know? And I don't have very much hope that we're going to make <laughs> make anything better like look at our society we're so obsessed with greed i mean look at our friggin' president like yeah but it's just but look at the steps that are being taken to rectify that i mean the headlines in last week alone um sure you know i'm not i'm not one to have much hope in that regard either but i sort of um you know i'm sort of in the camp uh, of like the idealists, I guess. Like I've always had a lot of faith in like human beings to be able to like figure out their shit. And I don't know, maybe it comes from like the type of television I watch. Like my favorite show is Star Trek: The Next Generation, which uh, fully claims that from our moment in history right now, 2017, that it gets worse before it gets better. But the better that it gets to is like, you know, this like wonderful place in history where like money doesn't exist and everybody's needs are met. You have power, you have water, you have food, you have warmth, um, shelter, all these types of things. And then, hey, we can travel the stars and do all that sort of stuff. And I hold out for a future that's like that. I mean, you know, humanity's Whoa, pretty disappointed. Star Trek is they're just having fun because all their needs are met. Yeah, because they developed replicator technology, so like food isn't an issue, right? Like mass, uh, like energy equals mass, and vice versa. Like y- y- they have their replicators, which just turn mass into any shape that you want it to be. So if you want like a sweet ass. You know, what's something that you might really want? Like a, like a really badass guitar. You can go to your replicator, you can punch in the program, and you can get a sweet-ass guitar out of your replicator. You want, like, the, like, you want a sweet, like, fudge brownie dessert? You go to your replicator, and you punch in the programming for a sweet fudge brownie dessert, and you get that out. Um, 
the, the whole point of them going throughout the galaxy is to just see new things because they could everything else they could just have really easily. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I think if we gradually built up to that, that could be a good thing. But I think if you just had one of those right now, like that would be the end of humanity. No, not at all. <laughs> think about if you had a replicator, about- you could just make a replicator for everybody. And then everybody has a replicator, and they can just have yeah. whatever they want. I don't think I want everybody to have a replicator. Look at some of the people that are in this world. <laughs> oh, like come on, like okay, if you blocked your replicator so, from like making a nuclear bomb or something like that, like what's the worst that could happen? Someone hacks the software and makes a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Why would you make a nuclear bomb? Okay, so you make a replicator, then you make a spaceship, you leave I'm Earth. Okay, a so lot they. Of people that- would it doesn't make any sense you can have whatever you want why do people do well, what, acts of terrorism if, like why do, it's not it's not it's all material stuff if you want the whole world to be one religion it doesn't matter if you have ice cream every moment you want it like you'll you'll find a way to make everybody your religion or whatever yeah but it, there's there's more than material wealth i i mean i guess I don't think that it like human beings like extend much further than that. Like I think even religion extends to material wealth. You know? Like who actually believes in a god so much that like they want to see every single human being like submit to the same weird dogma that they do? Like I don't think that there's one person on this planet that wants to see every single person submit to that. You know, and it's like, okay, maybe you can make the case like, okay, well, there's some extremist Muslims that want everybody to adhere to Sharia law. And it's like, no, they want to live their own lives through Sharia law. Like, and they don't want outsiders to interfere. You know, like, I think that's probably like the most truth. They don't want Western interference in the way that they govern themselves and the way they rule themselves. Even if it's like slightly like archaic to our sensibilities, you know, I don't want to live under Sharia law, but, but <laughs> I don't know. It's like, if you have a replicator, dude, like chances are like you can make a spaceship, you can go to another planet. Okay. Go to another planet and make Sharia planet. Go to another planet and make <laughs> Jesus planet. Go to another planet and make Shiva planet. You know what I mean? Like that's what's in Star Trek and everybody figured out a way to just like live prosperously because, well, A, they figured out that they probably figured out like religion's a fucking sham. And they figured out money's a sham for sure. Like nobody works for profit anymore. Like there's a line in the opening episode that it's like, this guy's like, he wakes up and he was like cryogenically frozen from the 21st century. He's like, where's my office? How will I survive? (laughs) And, and Patrick Stewart, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, he goes, he goes, we've evolved beyond that. He's like, you can live for whatever purpose you want. Go home and learn all you can. And the guy's just like, I don't think I can live in this world. You know, granted, he's outdated for sure. But Well, that's that's why I'm saying we can't have those things now. Well, no, we can't have them now. But that's, that's, the, that's what I was saying. It's like, right. well, dude, obviously now, like Star Trek happens in the 24th century, dude. Like I, I said, I, I said that they clearly like they said that things get worse before they get better. Like they go into these wars where they drug induce their soldiers so that they can't even think for themselves and they become basically robots and they and Earth goes through like a nuclear winter and all of these things. And then they come out on the other side with the ability to like traverse the stars via faster than light travel. But it was like a great outcome to nuclear war that it might not work out that way well, they, they talk <laughs> I, I about do, how barbaric one thing that people i were. thought is like a 
super cool overall thought. And I say super cool and it's my own thought, which I know is weird. But <laughs> but actually, so the title of the book, Sapiens, when Taylor was kind of all getting down on humans, it, it made me think that the title might be a bit of a joke. Because sapiens meaning wise. And then it's basically the book is kind of a list of how Our we follies. made these choices and, and decided to get unhappy and kind of moved forward with a lot of violence yeah. and it hasn't been in our best interest. So just the, the, fun, the fact that we are homo sapiens is itself a kind of like pie on our face. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's like, funny. Oh, we're, we're so wise. We invented nuclear weapons and now we could all kill ourselves. You know, yeah. like, so wise. It's funny because, you know, like, well, you know, Taylor is bringing up like our transgressions against like the animal kingdom is like one example of like our folly as, uh, as beings that are supposed to be able to coexist on this planet. But you know, to me, like that's one small part of it. You know, the other part is like, and I think he touched on this earlier is like our, our crimes against the environment. But what's worse, I think to me is like our crimes against each other. Like not only did we eradicate like these other human beings that like, you know, like us, like Neanderthals, not that they're, not that they're humans in the biological sense as we are, but, but these other animals that sort of like look like us and act like us and all this sort of stuff. Like we eradicated them off the earth because, of whatever reason. And now we have the ability to do that to ourselves. But, you know, it's like we've been doing that to ourselves for a thousand years, 2000 years. You know, one thing that always strikes me as like su- supremely absurd is the fact that um, there was a cent in the United States, there was a, a agency that handled cases of animal abuse before there was an agency that handled cases of child abuse. Like what? <laughs> You know, like, how backwards are we? The fact that it's, like, even 70 years ago, we viewed children as, like, a form of property and all this sort of stuff. Like, I think our crimes against each other are just as substantive as our crimes against animals and our crimes against the environment. Um, And our crimes against each other, I think, like, need to be figured out, I mean, in conjunction with the crimes against the environment. Otherwise, we're just going to suffocate to death and... You know, roast on our sweet ass desert planet. Um, but if we don't figure out like how to treat each other, like then someone's just gonna press the button. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> funny because I thought earlier your response to Taylor is very positive and forward looking. You know, and like well. <laughs> That last <laughs> you changed direction. No, I'm I'm definitely an optimist when it comes to humanity. Like I'll, I I will be the first person to say that human beings are largely uh, and mostly disappointing. Um, I mean, look at one year ago, come November. Um, I mean, our <laughs> election in the United States largely disappointing. Look at any sort of like military police action um, in the last 75 years, largely disappointing. Um, look at any, I mean, yeah, it is largely disappointing, but that doesn't mean that I'm not an optimist for humanity as a whole. I mean, we've survived 300,000 years and granted our capacity for destruction um, 
has far outstripped our emotional maturity as a species. But I think that in a hundred years, we're going to look back on the year 2017 and maybe this era as a whole and just be like, yeah, we were savages, but we overcame it because that's what we do. Human beings just overcome obstacles. We always do. Um, and if we don't, then, Hey, nobody's going to be able to tell me I'm wrong, but (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I do have faith in humanity in in terms of our long-term survival and in terms of our immediate future, there's a lot of idiots, but that's not a reflection on our species. You know, I mean, survival of the fittest in terms of humanity went out the window a long time ago. Um, and, so we have dumb people making decisions and doing things like that. And it's no fault of our species. It's just the way that our culture is set up right now. That's actually thinking about the future. It's almost like we can't have this conversation without thinking about who those humans will be also. And if they will be human. And I I'm convinced after reading this, I was reflecting on this yesterday. I'm, they were just, we're not going to be the last humans. And if one little change 70,000 years ago could turn us from middle of the road, East Africa dwellers to like world beaters, I just, once we figure out the brain yep. and, and maybe computer technology will, will play a role in this. I don't even, it's hard to imagine what we're going to turn into, but I think it's going to be very different than what we are now. But I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't know if I'm optimistic or pessimistic about that. I mean, I'm cynical so, for sure. I'm cynical for sure. I mean, everybody has their own motivations and all that sort of thing, but I'm pretty optimistic. If one small change in our brain triggers this huge cognitive revolution that led us to the path that we're on right now, all it, it, all it's going to take is one more revolution to get us to being the masters of our solar system. You know what I mean? And and, and in a sense, like after we get off Earth, we sort of defeat some of the largest threats to us as a species nuclear annihilation or some sort of like weather catastrophe or cosmic catastrophe, you know, like an asteroid or some garbage like that or solar flare or something like that that knocks out everything and just people go crazy and kill each other. Once we get off this planet, once we figure out how to live on the moon or live on Mars or live on, you know, whatever the hell we live on, we've overcome like our primary weakness as a species at this moment which is the fact that we live on the same planet, on the planet that we're killing and can just destroy with the press of a button. Yeah, man. That's why Carl Sagan always pointed to the stars, man. Gotta go. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But if we end this conversation with Dude, we got to get out of here. <laughs> That's a very, that would be quite a pessimistic read. It's interesting. Well, it's, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Kurt. Well, I, I, in picking this book, and I knew the premise of 70,000 years ago, there were six human species, and I knew the subtitle, A Brief History of Humankind. 
I didn't think about it. So I kind of thought about it as a prehistory book, but it, this, so this future part is not something I, you know, planned to be a part of this conversation, nor is it something I like thinking about necessarily. It scares me a lot. I don't, cause I, there's just so much could happen. It could be AI terribleness or nuclear awfulness, or we could really figure it out and just be, kind benevolent beings that are you know super ethical and great and then tour the galaxy but it's it's the hardest part for me to talk about and i think we we are struggling a little bit just dissecting it because there is no there's no facts here there's no like here's a here's a couple paths we can debate it's It's just speculation it's so much speculation yeah yeah um one thing that might be interesting, this is a little bit off topic, but I have uh, the book Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors on my bookshelf. It's a Carl Sagan book. Um, and it's about the history of humans as well. I wonder kind of how that book uh, could kind of educate us a little bit more in the topics of the history of humans. It's kind of a long one, but... Uh, back on topic. Yeah, it's, um, some things that were pretty interesting to me, at least, was um, this idea of uh, basically copying our consciousness into computers. Um, and it talks about like, I guess, or or the other one that was interesting was becoming not immortal but amortal, which basically means you can't die unless an accident happens or you get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those were kind of interesting. Like one thing he said about us having the ability to put our minds into a computer was like, you know, what kind of laws will go into that kind of thing? Like what happens if somebody deleted your consciousness <laughs> or, you know, or, like, because it'll it'll just be like some kind of file or file system or something, you know. Um, I don't know. The future is going to be a crazy place, and I it's this idea essentially of us being gods, right? Like, if we're immortal and we can like put our consciousness into something that lasts for as long as humans do, is really an interesting thought. I think it's like one of the most inhuman things that we could do you know is because part of being a human is dying you know well right now right Right now now and throughout history you know just like everything else yeah so i don't know i don't really know what else to add to that but just some interesting stuff yeah the future on that regard like always frightens me because like i remember reading an article a couple years ago about these bionic eye implants right and they have these lenses that are sort of like in the same shape of as like tucker shells and you can sort of like implant them into your eyes and they give you three times better than 2020 vision (laughs) and i was thinking about my job and one of my jobs at the time was catching catching shoplifters um and you know part of catching shoplifters is having like sharp visual acuity and i i started thinking about this like these these taco shaped eye lenses and it's like how long until you know when these go consumer like how long 
until in order for you to have this job, do you, will it be like a requirement that you have these bionic implants? And, uh, you know, I don't think it would be very long, you know, and the movie Gattaca sort of like touches base on this, but not necessarily in like the transhumanist sense, but in, in like the sort of like genetic, um, you know, genetic sense, we can sort of like predict, uh, and control and sort of like design our offspring in such a way that we can do away with certain diseases or certain birth defects or certain things like that. And then you can only get certain jobs based on your genetic makeup. (laughs) Yeah. He talked about that a little bit in the book. Yeah. Yeah. He did. If we can map our DNA, like, What's well, it's only a matter of time like, from being, I read yeah. a study, I read a study where we like, they literally turned off a gene in mice for aging. And in fact, they took a geriatric mouse, they switched off this gene in this mouse and his hair went from being gray to being colored his bones went from being less dense to being more dense his um, his uh, blood vessels went from being hard to being malleable essentially reversing the aging process in a mouse because we figured out which gene which piece of dna in this mouse did that and they just literally like a light switch they flipped it they had the geriatric mouse, turned it off. He literally reversed aged, and then they flipped it back on, and he went back to being a geriatric mouse. <laughs> you know, and I don't think it was like instantaneously by any means. I don't have the study in front of me, but but this is something that's been looked at for a long time. How how long until that's something we do with human beings? Hmm. Yeah. Well, and part of it that makes me think, you know, you wonder, could we? Right now, I feel like our bodies of course break down but when you're talking about elderly people a lot of what they suffer from is dementia yeah so let's you know i wonder if we could get our bodies to not age but then the brain will take a while to still crack i i don't know it's again it's it's tough to speculate and we're yeah it's there's a there's a recent study that's come out even about like dementia and alzheimer's and that a lot of the things that contribute to that is lack of sleep and as you get old as you get old, there for whatever reason, our brains have a hard time entering that restful sleep period. And mm. so while we might be in our beds with our eyes closed, resting for eight hours a night, as we get older, the amount of meaningful rest gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because our brains have a harder time entering that state. And those are the things that they're finding recently that attribute most to like cognitive decay. They distribute most dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. You know, so it's like only a matter of time until they figure out things like this. And then we are going to have to struggle with the concepts and the questions of like, what does it mean to be human? Hmm. And does it, is it human to get old and to fall apart and to be sad and cause sadness in our uh, family's lives? Or is it just human to live your life the best you can? And then just like, you know, go to a farm and go away, you know, like, uh, or or die in an accident or whatever you know or maybe like maybe they'll just be like all right every human being can live to be 100 years old and then we flip the switch and we just put you to sleep you know <laughs> like 
I don't know. We are going to have to deal with these questions. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but maybe in our children's lifetimes or our grandchildren's lifetimes. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of people who are transhumanists who have figured out it's like, you know, how long until we just like replace our hearts with artificial hearts when they start getting older and we can li- we can far outlive our bodies in this sense because we just slowly replace the things that go wrong with them, you know? Um, I don't know. Those are the questions that are posed sort of in the book and, and sort of yeah. just in, with modern science that are really interesting and pretty much impossible to answer. Much like, right. much like the questions that are posed at the very beginning that we were talking about, you know, like, I don't know. Most questions are pretty much impossible to answer. Like the <laughs> most, most substantive, que- uh, substantial or substantive rather questions are going to be difficult or near impossible to answer. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well, yeah, on that note. <laughs> yeah. I think I feel like it's time to wrap up. I don't I don't I, I mean do we could talk a little bit about just some like overall final takes. I think that was a good thing to end on though about hey, these are, these are questions that are tough to answer and it's helpful to know our history and to know how it's happened and I felt like I was very informed by reading this. Yeah, same um, here. That's but, something that I, I say a lot is, you know, like actually me and Allie were just talking about, she was saying she's not a big fan of history. And um, what she was at least saying was maybe it's because throughout history, like women really haven't been much part of history, you know, which is something I've never had to really think about. But for me, like history is uh, is really interesting to learn because it helps shape my opinion about where we are now today and normally like when i read about history it's a few hundred years or you know a thousand years two thousand years but this covers like the gamut you know yeah so it really was a great book to help me understand kind of the landscape of how humans got to be where they are now and i would recommend this book to anybody you know I agree. I agree. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think very fitting to sort of end on this, on, on this sort of note, because I don't think our ancestors a hundred thousand years ago could have ever guessed where we would be. Um, and we are faced with a lot of difficult questions because of science. Um, but those are the questions that I think human beings are used to overcoming. And we continually overcome and we will continue to overcome. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I we are made of stardust and I think to the stars we shall return. Earth might be our home for now, but there's no doubt in my mind that someday we'll, uh, we'll populate the stars, you know. Uh, and we might be a far cry, you know, they might be reading... Uh, you know the three the year three thousand version of sapiens a brief uh history of humankind and they <laughs> might look at us in the year 2017 and sort of laugh and joke and and ask themselves hard questions about you know same we were about human beings seventy thousand years ago um and i hope they do i have high hopes for uh for our for our progeny um yeah, and as do I. And I think that 
one of the main things that this <laughs> talks about is that history is not deterministic. Nope. So whatever the future holds is going to be a roll of the dice. And I, I wish us all the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I too. And yeah, I think with that we can conclude sapiens and just, just as a, re- a reminder, my name's Kurt Burning. I was quarterbacking this one a little bit because it was my, my book. Uh, Mr. Taylor Bukai will be taking over next time and yep. then followed by Rhett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks guys, for is, the good episode, guys. It was a lot yeah, of fun. This has been a super blast. We've recorded for over three hours at this point. So we hope anybody listening has enjoyed themselves. And uh, you should follow along with our book club, you know, on whatever uh, whatever platform uh, is your top choice. Yeah, we'll have to set up some uh, social media kind of stuff and and get us put out there. Heck yeah. Love it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, all. You made it. Way to go, guys. If you stuck with us through this marathon dissection of Sapiens, then pat yourself on the back because you are a full-fledged member of the Awesome Book Club. Way to go. If you haven't got your hands on Sapiens yet and you want to see what all the fuss is about, you can get it real cheap on Amazon. But better yet, we implore you to go support your local library. You can go get it for free. What's better than that? If you've been listening along all four episodes, you know that the way we do things, we record the book club conversation all in once, we chop it up into digestible chunks, and we release all the episodes at once. So what that means, if you're aware, this is the last episode for Sapiens. But fret not, okay? I know that you just binged on this one, but if you want to get some preparation underway for the next book club read, hop online or go to your local used bookstore and get your hands on Hiroshima by John Hersey. If you thought Sapiens was a little too long, then I think you're going to really enjoy this book. It's nice, short, easily digestible, but very, very eye-opening. But before you press stop on this bad boy and head out to go buy Hiroshima, we really just want to ask you one last time this month <laughs> to hop on over to iTunes or whatever your preferred plat- podcast platform, podcast platform may be, and leave us a rating and a review. It's your chance to tell the world what you thought. If you want to make sure the next person that comes along knows that you hated it, here's your chance. You want to let the next person that comes along know that you loved it, here's your chance. Ratings and reviews only take a couple minutes out of your day, and they mean so much to us. They are the currency of the podcast world. They help us maintain visibility and help like-minded friends find our show. But either way, if you choose not to leave us a review... We thank you so much for bearing with us. If you're the type that doesn't like to miss anything, hit that subscribe button. Never miss an episode. And we'll see you guys back here next time to talk about Hiroshima by John Hersey. So long, friends. We'll see you in a bit.